Welcome back to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. I'm Dr. Michaela Benson, a reader in sociology at Goldsmiths University of London and the research lead for a UK and a changing Europe funded project that's all about what Brexit means for British citizens living in the EU 27. Today, I wanted to bring you something a little different. I wanted you to see us in action as sociologists. And the perfect opportunity came up a couple of weeks ago when Chantal Lewis and I were presenting research from the project at the British Sociological Association. We recorded our paper for you to hear and listen to. And I thought that this would be an interesting experiment because it elaborates on a preoccupation that we've had over the course of the project, which is with thinking critically about who counts as British and what do those understandings of Britishness do to the ways in which we understand Brexit. This paper has already been published in the journal Ethnic and Racial Studies, and it focuses in particular on the case of British people of colour living and working in the EU27 and asks what we might learn and understand better about Brexit through the observations of their experiences. It seeks particularly to amplify their voices in a debate that has been dominated by some quite loud voices, and seeks to further our understandings about how racism is caught up in Brexit in complex ways. In particular, it shows that through the observation of their lives, which have been shaped by institutional, structural and everyday racism, we might deepen our understanding of the social forces that have produced Brexit But importantly, we might understand that these are forces that are not unique to Britain, but are also at work in contemporary Europe. Take a listen and see what you think. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. So the first thing um, I want to say is that this is based on a paper that's already been published two weeks ago in Ethnic and Racial Studies. We've got some paper copies for anyone who wants a bit of paper to take away with them. What we're going to focus on today is not the theoretical framing of the paper. There are several people in the room who we owe a great debt to because they are very prominent in our papers. Particularly Gaminda and Satnam um, have been very influential in shaping how we've presented this. But we really wanted to amplify here the voices of a population who have been absent in the Brexit debate but also in any kind of coverage of who the British are who live elsewhere in the world. Joel's already indicated, for example, that we fall into these very, very ready narratives about who British people are who live abroad. And we haven't been asking that question of who is the British when we're talking about these British populations. This is based on a bigger project that is all about British citizens who live abroad and Brexit. But I want to start with the voice of one of the people we've been working with. With Brexit, people over here, they very rarely talk about what it's like. You know, they'll talk about the economic side of it. They'll talk about the bureaucratic inconveniences with having to re-register and prove that you've lived consistently here and that you've been registered the whole time and that you work and all of this stuff. But they don't consider, like 
how it heightens the existing racism that there is towards black British people across Europe or well, black people in general yeah. but it's like your movements and your presence was already questionable and now people come to find you're British and they a lot of Dutch people don't actually understand what Brexit means yeah they just think it means Britain's leaving the EU. That means all British people become illegal immigrants. We already know that they kind of assume that if you're black and you're here, that you must be an immigrant, even though the Dutch have quite a sizable Afro-Dutch community, the people that were born here. You know, they just assume that you're you're an immigrant and that you're probably not documented. And now I'm here and I'm British. So it's like bringing all of these yeah. tropes together in a very messy, complicated way. Mm-hmm. There is zero understanding, insight, or solidarity of that at the forefront of the conversations about being British and being here within the Brexit British moment. Yeah. Remain Brexit community. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we have been focusing on all the way through the project is in trying to move beyond the simple focus on citizens' rights, which has been the focus of a lot of the discussions around British people who live abroad for obvious reasons because these people do fall within the scope of the withdrawal agreement quite explicitly and to ask questions about how those transformations uh, to people's rights are unevenly felt but within the context of their lives. And quite simply there is a very very simple narrative that gets communicated which is around the removal of privileges from an already privileged population. But I think that what we're seeing very, very clearly across the project, thinking about whose voices have been projected, whose voices are very prominent in that debate. So Joel's already talked about some of the campaign groups, who's represented by those campaign groups and who is excluded from those or who is not represented through those. It became very, very clear from the clip that we just heard from Bex, who lives in the Netherlands, that actually she felt very clearly that those campaign groups did not speak for her. They did not understand her experiences of having been a person of colour in Britain, but also of what her experience of having been a person of colour living in another European country had been. So we wanted to ask the question, which was, If we actually take seriously that question of who counts as British when we're thinking about British citizens who live abroad in a time of Brexit, how might that contribute to the narrative about the relationship between racism and Brexit? How might it help us to think about Brexit not as an exceptionally British moment, but as something that we could locate within a longer history of European uh, racialization and racism. So our starting point, right from setting up this project, and we've done this in various different ways, has been to take that starting point and to say, okay, who is the British when we're talking about British citizens who live in Europe? From both a personal and academic viewpoint, pre and post e referendum, we've been concerned with how um, predominantly um, the Brexit narration has been a white narration of Brexit. So those who have British citizenship that are also people of colour should never have been neglected um, when we were looking at Brexit and how we make sense of the vote to leave the European Union and the consequences for this decision, but they have been continuously in both public and academic forums, media outlets, etc. So in the back of our minds, whilst we sort of conducted this research, 
The question has been, where were and where are the British people of colour that live within the EU27 within public discussions of Brexit? For me, when applying to work on this project, at the forefront of my thinking in relation to British citizens living in the EU27 was the fact that I know a load of black British people that live in Spain and the Netherlands. And I was thinking, what are they thinking about this situation? Like, how is this affecting them? Why are their voices not being heard? In the process of recruiting and sampling, I interviewed 30 different British people of colour that live within eight different um, nations. There's more details about it in the paper. People were openly saying to Mikla and I and Karen and Catherine, but British people of colour wouldn't move um, to the EU because why would they move to these racist, predominantly white countries? And I was like, well, Britain's really racist and we live here, so Britain is multiracial. And so because of that, British citizens living within the EU27 are also going to be multiracial. So in sort of identifying this sample and these populations, we've used the term people of colour and in the paper we break this down... We've used the term people of colour and it is a really imperfect term, particularly when we're talking about processes of racialisation and racism, because we know these processes vary across different racialised populations. Um, so we really didn't want this to go unacknowledged. I'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But we were clear from the outset that this wasn't about essentialising these populations, but more about showing what they had in common. And that was their experiences of racism whilst living in these EU27 countries that were not brought about by Brexit. And I should say that this is positioned within a predominant story that we hear um, from, I would say, the vast majority of the white British people that we speak to, with a very, very few exceptions. And their story about Brexit is one that's probably familiar to quite a lot of us in the room, which is Brexit as Britain's racist moment, a kind of turning point. And their shock and outrage at the idea that rights could be removed from people, revealing exactly their lack of knowledge and understanding of the extent to which, for some people, In Britain, there has always been a question about whether the rights they have now will either be upheld, will be removed, will be deprived from them. But people who'd always had their right to be uh, in the places that they lived and worked questioned were completely absent. Any understanding or recognition of that is just not present in the predominant narrative that you get from large swathes of the British Remain voting white citizen community who live in the European Union. So actually, even within these kind of frames of reference of being outraged about Britain leaving the European Union, as as Joel already intimated, some of these longer histories have just been completely wiped out. And with it, any understanding of the sense in which Europe might be a racist place too. So they present Britain as what an awful, terrible place Britain has become since I left. And yet... They live in some countries which also have very present um, and current racist um, equally or, 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 well, as equally racist as Britain. So Um, so what's really important here is that I use the same interview guide um, as Karen, Mikola and Catherine and Mike were using for their predominantly white citizens living in the EU27. But the interview always took a totally different path 
Brexit for the British people of colour was positioned as something familiar and synonymous with Britain and Europe's long histories of racism that they have experienced on both an institutional and interpersonal level. Racialisation and racism, regardless of Brexit, would be centre stage in their interview narration. And before the interview, we were unaware that the racialisation and racism that the participant had experienced both prior and after Brexit would be central to how they made sense of their position at the moment. To be clear, and we state this within the paper, we do break down, in order to recognise how this plays out, we do break down the experiences of different people of colour. So whilst describing some of the racist stories they shared... So, for example, the majority of women I interviewed who were of African or Caribbean heritage narrated the racism they experienced in accordance with processes of dehumanisation that we know is a familiar form of prejudice and discrimination used against black women. And further, there was also clear cases of Islamophobia that played out through surveillance. It's hard to tell. Uh, the reason there's a reason why it's hard to tell, which is that you just have so few people of color in, you know, higher education, yeah. academics, and things. I don't know in that respect because I've got no one else I can compare myself to, you know, or even someone I can talk to about it. You know, closest I've got is uh, like some of the Latinos are here. Then they feel it the same. Maybe some of them had more experience of you know different institutions or whatever. I think there's definitely definitely things uh, that are specific to me. Mm-hmm. I'm a visible Muslim as well. I have a beard. And, I mean, I don't make a big song and dance about it, but, you know, it's pretty clear for my name as well. And so, yeah, you know, this stuff, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I'm a, nearly 40 years old and I have two kids and I'm, you know, fairly established in my own little field. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to uh, Poptency University one day and I was followed by security right to the toilet. And, you know, basically asking what like, we doing here, you know. And the other thing was, I mean, I kind of watched the, the security for a while just to see, like, am I the only one that's up? And I was, after, you know, I literally was the only person who got stopped. And then, you know, so uh, things like that, you know. So, um, and, you know, and, you know, my students, you know, some of them, maybe they were walking around, maybe they saw it, I don't know, you know. Uh, so that delegitimizes you, you see, so uh, on top of everything else. Camille's describing, he's a university lecturer and describing being followed by um, on-site security who were asking him what he was doing. He's, he's a lecturer. He had to explain himself and then he was searched. But what we're trying to make clear is that racialisation and racism and racial violence are not unique to Britain and rather are not unique to Brexit. We're not trying to make a point about which is worse. We are saying that the problem is with Europe. Europe is a white project and one dedicated to the exclusion of people of colour who are racialised outsiders. And what we do through the paper is we go through and we talk about um, the experiences of structural and institutional racism and we close with discussions of explicit uh, experiences of racial violence and harassment, including at least one case of violence experienced by a black British man in Germany from the AFD. But we also, this, and the reason we're closing with this quotation, which is on the slide, is because they also talk about state racism in their accounts of um, their experiences in these parts of the world. And it's probably unsurprising to many people in the room that this is what happens, but we thought it was very important that we, we brought these um, alternative narratives about Brexit and how this is located within this to the fore. And this is from Magali, who lives in Belgium, um, who uh, had actually grown up in Belgium and many other parts of Europe 
Um, and this is her experience as a nine-year-old child walking in the street in Belgium. And actually, she went on to talk about... This was an experience that she talked about at the age of nine. She talked about another experience where she collapsed in a shop at the age of 14. And an even more recent experience where, um, where she had been out with her son um, in a restaurant and her son had unfortunately vomited in the, on the way into the restaurant. And the women behind the counter had not offered any help at all. They had just, like, literally kicked a bucket over to her to clean up. So we thought it was really important just to bring these narratives to the fore so that they can become part of the broader way in which we try to complicate understandings of Brexit. You've been listening to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Michaela Benson, and produced by Emma Halton at Art of Podcast. The series is part of a UK and a Changing Europe funded research project, Brexit Brits Abroad, that's all about what Brexit means for UK citizens living in the EU 27. We're really keen to hear from you about the issues and concerns we address in the programme. So please do get in touch with any thoughts, queries and questions. You can find our contact details on our webpage, Brexit Brits Abroad, or get in touch via social media. We're on Twitter at BrexPatsEU and we have a Facebook page, Brexit Brits Abroad. Finally, in case you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on both iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode.